Hello, and welcome to the Meaning of Life podcast, hosted by Dr. Susie Farello. Dr. Farello is an associate professor at California State University, East Bay. She does philosophy based on lived experience and works as a philosophical counselor. You can find some of her work online on academia.edu and psychology today. Thank you. everyone and welcome to this new season of Philosophy Gets Personal. Today uh, we have uh, the fortune to have uh, a special guest, Roxana Bayasu. She's uh, a philosopher, she works at the University of Birmingham, well she's assistant professor at the University of Birmingham visiting lecturer at Stanford University Center in Oxford and associate member of the philosophy faculty at the University of Oxford. Um, She works uh, in uh, different areas uh, such as uh, philosophy of mental health, uh, phenomenology, bioethics, uh, social epistemology and feminist philosophy. She's very prolific. Uh, She worked uh, in, uh, um, she she wrote uh, for uh, different areas uh, such as uh, um, uh, new models for uh, tackling uh, social differences and inequalities in mental health care. Um, She um, wrote for the lived experience of lockdown, uh, illness, power, and epistemic injustices. And today she's here uh, to talk about happiness with us and to see how philosophy uh, informed her personal life. Uh, So welcome, Roxana. It's a great pleasure to have you here today with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, let's start from uh, a very straightforward question and let's see if the question, uh, the answer changes throughout the interview. Uh, What is happiness for you? How does it look like? What kind of shape uh, does it take in uh, your uh, personal life? Um, well, happiness seems to me like a very big word. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, we tend to think of it as like a very, uh, very demanding ideal, which uh, must include lots of things. Uh, so it's something very complex. Um, and uh, we might uh, perhaps tend to think of something like a, a utopian state of perfect uh, being and uh, fulfillment of uh, desires. Um, at the same time, it's um, this contrast with the reality we uh, are facing in our contemporary world, uh, which is impacted by climate change, by wars, the pandemic, uh, various political and economic challenges uh, that we all face in our everyday lives. Um, so there is, yeah, I think, this contrast between, a uh, very powerful contrast between the contemporary world we live in and uh, maybe an ideal, uh, a utopian state of happiness. So um, to maybe to overcome this this contrast, I'm trying to think of happiness as uh, not a perfect ideal, but uh, so in terms of an idealized conception, but something more like a a mode of being that is uh, accessible to most of us, um and uh so to to think of it in more realistic uh and accessible ways so i yeah i it seems to me that happiness is uh something very complex um and it's not just a mental state or a bodily state of pleasure 
um, and there are internal components, external factors that one can think of in relation to, to this concept of happiness, to this idea of happiness, um, and uh, some external factors, I guess, are, you know, having good relations with people. So for me, uh, you know, to be happy, it means uh, to have like good relations with people, um, uh, long-lasting friendships, uh, good re family relations, harmonious mm -hmm. um, like uh, social life, uh, be part of a community, you know, having a sense of belonging. Um, so there are these social aspects as well as ethical aspects of happiness that um, I think are um, important to, to think about. And also more widely, um, it seems to be I can't be happy in an unfair society. Uh, so I think justice, equality, um, uh, like required for um, uh, for a sort of a communal uh, life, uh, in order for individuals that uh, share this this uh, communal life uh, to be happy. Um, so I'm if I see sorry. injustices, then then this makes me sad, so unhappy and. Uh, Hey, Roxana, exactly on this point, uh, you work uh, on uh, um, mental health uh, injustice, uh, inequalities in mental health. Uh, if, uh, as you said, happiness is something that resides in our uh, relationships, in our ability to have uh, long and deep relationships, uh, what about uh, people uh, whose uh, uh, skills in building relationships is impaired? Uh, do they have uh, uh, an equal chance to happiness? Is their, um, yeah, a chance to get happy, to have a happy life uh, impaired and somehow? Uh, what's your experience in uh, this field? So, so um, I think, uh, yeah, happiness is, is a social, uh, social thing. And I think that, um, you know, we should, um, we, we should um, offer support to each other and um, people who have like, for example, impaired skills of socialization or who um, have, um, you know, certain um, disabilities or are more vulnerable or extremely vulnerable uh, than society and, uh, you know, yeah. government uh, institutions should uh, support uh, the the needs uh, of these individuals so that uh, they have like a sort of equal access or um, maybe maybe one could argue for a, a right to happiness uh, but um, and then make claims about um, how how this uh, right could be met um, in the case of extremely vulnerable individuals. But I think in order to overcome injustices inequalities. Uh, particularly in in uh, with in relation to health men healthcare generally and mental health care, um, it is important that um, the well-being of these individuals is promoted, nurtured, um, in uh, by at, at the micro level of uh, interpersonal relations, but also at a more uh, macro level of institutions, policies, uh, you know, government invitation, intervention, pardon? What can we do? What's a, what's a practical thing we can do to help uh, to increase uh, their social um, ability to get happy? Mm. 
Um, so I think um, so the, I think they have the capabilities to to be to be happy, and I think it is important to think about capabilities in this context and how these capabilities could be met in relation to the needs of uh, particular groups and particular specific individuals. So I think um, at, at the micro level of social relations, mm -hmm. it, it's important to um, maybe culturally promote uh, empathy and uh, support, mutual support um, through, I don't know, um, um, by raising awareness, some forms of activism, you know, educational uh, programs and um, at a, um, a, like a, a sort of meso level and macro level, it is important to develop policies um, at um, you know in healthcare and uh, maybe at the state level as well. Policies that um, can lead to the uh, development of um, resources and uh, and uh, tools that can uh, enable uh, the uh, these individuals who need to exercise capabilities to have uh, the appropriate uh, resources and uh, uh, maybe contextual um, con contextual support for for them to uh, to be able to do uh, what they can do and to be what they can be. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult question. What it is. Do. I mean, if it's we write to, a lot and, uh, <laughs> yeah. If we try to put it on uh, a personal level, uh, I mean, uh, when I get down, when I feel down, uh, it's the moment in which I don't feel like answering uh, phone calls. Uh, uh, maybe friends uh, can try to reach me out, uh, but it feels uh, uh, too much energy to... To, to take uh, an invite, to take on an invite, uh, to do things. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, uh, this is a lived experience that concerns uh, many other people. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's quite common in a life uh, to feel like that uh, um, often, I don't know, or uh, sometimes like, yeah. <laughs> yeah how how ca can we help each other when something like this happens uh, i mean i learned for myself uh, that uh, when i feel like this uh, there's the bell of self-involvement uh, and i i think ah, okay now i'm too self-involved uh, it's happening again i need to look out i need to maybe help a friend or uh, put my head into something uh, that uh, it's uh, refreshing and so on. Mm. I don't know if you have ever uh, had this experience uh, for yourself or uh, a friend uh, who felt like this and you managed to help. Um, uh, what's uh, what's the micro step to well-being that can be taken in moments of uh, down? you think mm -hmm. yes that uh, yeah this is a uh, interesting and very difficult question i think um i think it's important to feel that um your your presence can matter and that you know mm -hmm. uh, your existence matters to other people 
and mm-hmm. if they reach out you know just you know texting each other or you know mm-hmm. just uh, you know, some emoji even <laughs> like <before. Yeah. laughs> you know messages of support of sending good thoughts and good vibes uh this you know can help and uh uh, so reaching out to um, to others who uh, you know are in this uh, state of feeling down, which yeah, I think everyone experiences, including myself, and um, you know showing them some sort of um, um, effective um, effective presence um, and caring. I think uh, that mm-hmm. that could be an initial <laughs> sort of right. uh, action. And of course, trying to uh, then uh, maybe make them uh, get out of the shell and, uh, you know, trying to overcome the um, isolation and to the tendency to further isolate ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, that's also uh, maybe an important next big step. And uh, um, as, as you, I think you said, it's, it's sometimes important to just throw yourself into an activity, even, you know, even if you just do it like sort of mechanically, you know, right. I have to move this body, which right. now, uh, uh, you know, it's me feeling down to throw it into a situation where I can maybe become absorbed in an activity. And mm-hmm. I think uh, just this initial mechanical sort of movement can then uh, put someone on the path towards uh, an activity and an engagement and involvement in in something that can um, then uh, produce a, a better you know state of mind and uh, yeah state of perhaps even well-being by you know enjoying the activity or you know uh, participating um, in in something and uh, in this way overcoming this feeling of uh, feeling down and. Uh, you know, uh, not wanting to get out of your house, of your boy bed, or yeah, which might be you know something that we experience on a on a daily basis uh, sometimes. Have you ever experienced uh, for uh, a time a state of unhappiness, and if so, how did you overcome it? I guess um, grief, um, you know, could be a very difficult state of unhappiness, mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, Indeed, it's um, I think very difficult to 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 overcome when you lost someone close. Um, that uh, kind of changes your whole perspective um, on the world, on your relationship. Is like an atmosphere that uh, mm-hmm. you actually are in, and you can't get out. Um, it uh, colors the whole way you see the world, and the, you. Feel you, you know, you have a sense of yourself, of your, of others, um, and perhaps you, you cannot get out of uh, this atmosphere that um, mm-hmm. you're wrapped in. But um, maybe you can find ways of coping, coping well, and you know, functioning well, um, even in such situations. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, for example, for me, philosophy is a way of. Uh, um of overcoming such um moments of uh, you know feeling down or even states of unhappiness due to grief as a result of uh, lo- following the loss of loved ones um and engaging again engaging in activities uh, doing what you love doing what you are uh, you know feel uh, passionate about even 
if sometimes you you lose this interest because of the grief or the sadness that overcomes you um i think yeah this could be ways um and also yeah seeking other people seeking to uh, talk to other people and to share your uh, feelings and your worries, your concerns, your unhappiness. I think this also helps a lot, you know, through friendships or um, even, you know, uh, people who care to uh, could be strangers mm -hmm. on the street or, right. you know, in the train, if if they care to, to, to listen to you and to talk to you. I think that also, you know, can help a lot for you to overcome um, this, this states and, and to be become able to, to cope and to to participate, you know, in the social world we share. And I remember when I lost my mother, I was desperate. I was in my, I was 30 years old. And, um, and I was crying at some point. I started crying on a train. I was just crying and crying and crying. And I remember the person sitting uh, next to me, no, in front of me, across me, said that it will not last forever. It, it it it's going to get better. I it it's the best thing that this person could have told me, and uh, it stopped there. I mean, I didn't last. Uh, there wasn't any big conversation. It was just uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's going to get better. It, it's not. Yes. Uh, it it will not last forever. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, if uh, you manage to have um, a, sign a significant, even very short conversation, it can uh, get you through. Uh, mm -hmm. So you use philosophy when uh, you lost uh, someone important in your life. Uh, did philosophy help you? So I just continued do. I just continued doing it. Yeah. So uh, uh, being involved, you know, in this um, in various uh, philosophical activities of yeah, uh, uh, in 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 making philosophy in various ways. You know, through teaching or mm -hmm. uh, organizing discussions, talks with. Uh, um, other philosophers, all these uh, things kept me going, uh, despite, you know, the, the uh, very deep grief I experienced, you know, as a result of uh, um, following the, the loss of my parents. So I think that that uh, helped a lot and also trying to make sense of uh, um, of things um, by, by, by um, you know, acknowledging uh that uh, a big part of of uh, my my world has you know crumbled and uh just uh, yeah. yeah um disappear mm. was cut off and uh so i think being involved doing something creatively like philosophy could be also be art or music or other things can um can um compensate for this loss of uh um of um, an important uh, part of your life it's like you know you lose a leg or you lose an arm you um mm -hmm. yeah really? can, can um try to overcome this by uh by you know getting uh, by doing things that um enable you to um realize new possibilities to experience your freedom to experience uh your um exercising of capabilities which i think are, are life empowering and um, so I think yeah, grief could be and some other 
experiences like uh, you know illness mental illness are life cycling and then we have to look for ways that uh, we can breathe again and that we can mm -hmm. uh, you know experience our freedom and our possibilities to be uh, which we you know can't do if we just you know uh, give up and uh, surrender to the <laughs> you know the, the bed of suffering and um, um, yes the, the the isolation of uh, pain um, and yeah. uh, suffering that isolate that yes that that um, um, takes our takes us away from from others and further uh, enhances this uh, uh, loneliness that could be yeah life stifling so um, mm -hmm. I think that there is a, a a power in us that um, enables us to to overcome um, or to cope in such difficult situations and uh, yeah in my work I explore this a bit uh, in terms of uh, a notion of resilience and existential fundamental deep resilience that we uh, have um, in many cases but again this resilience is uh, maybe comes from us but uh, uh, sometimes we need the support of others to further you know pursue uh, resilient modes of being so just ourselves sometimes might not be sufficient mm. as resources for uh, coping with difficult situations in life yeah so. as you're speaking it comes to my mind uh, uh, what Martha Nasbaum said uh, when her mother I think was dying and uh, she noticed how um, unfair somehow it was her ability to keep working and being very good at what he was as she was doing and uh, at the same time uh, part of her life uh, was uh, yeah as you were saying crumbling because uh, when you lose someone you have the apparent feeling that the life world is collapsing on itself although to my experience it continues so it's uh, just uh, an apparent feeling because uh, the relationship doesn't end when you lose someone at least that was my experience and and so yeah uh, Marta Nasbaum was noticing how startling was this uh, pull toward life uh, philosophical activities and uh, um, writing and thinking and so on and at the same time a part of herself was uh, uh, <sighs> Yeah, uh, mourning deeply her mother. Yes, yes I, I, yeah, I remember uh, I came across the same, yeah. So, ah, uh, and uh, I've read about this. And um, yes, I mean, um, it might look as though um, maybe your, uh, your grief is not uh, um, like some... I guess some people might be judgmental. Oh, no. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. There's a kind of a judgmental tone. You have to stop your life. And nothing can you have continue. To stop and more. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think more. Yeah, I think it's important to more as well to to give time to take in all this um, all this loss. But um, at the same time, I think uh, you know things like work or. Uh, getting involved in some activities could be the life saving. Mm -hmm. So they, they yeah. could, yeah, in terms of um, how you cope and how you, yeah. Although I remember in my case, my brain was completely 
blank. I remember uh, while my mother was sick and I was at her hospital, I was trying to do the translation of a book. Oh God, from English to Italian or from Italian, I don't even remember, or Italian to English anyway. And uh, words wouldn't come. And I knew that I had this deadline and I had to do it. And I didn't know how ill was my mother. So I was just there trying to work and keep her company while she was sleeping. And my brain was completely blank. And somehow it was a very, my super ego was really harsh on me and said, no, you should work, you should do things. So in my mm -hmm. case, uh, uh, went this way. But then a stoicism help, helped. And I remember that I started reading a little more of Seneca and his writing on time and, you know, the importance of being in the present and letting the emotions go and looking at your emotions without necessarily engage with them mm -hmm. and uh, let your life flow. And, you know, a little bit of work here, a little there, things started flowing. Mm -hmm. Did you have any philosopher in particular that... Um, managed to talk to you during those moments um i yeah i i think um i don't remember you know uh, trying to find uh, support in some specific mm -hmm. um, philosophical text it was more the activity of mm -hmm. doing the activity itself of letting my me myself being absorbed and i also was in denial i i, I wasn't mm -hmm. uh, uh, accepting uh i wasn't um i didn't think you know that that uh, the end is approaching i i i, mm. I was hoping in recovering and me too, me too. and uh, i never accepted and uh, mm. so i was in denial maybe you know some form of bad faith and uh uh maybe that's uh, bad faith might be something inescapable uh, in some some um situations and uh or in what do you mean by bad faith because i know you are using this in a very technical way and our listeners might miss it so uh, lying to oneself you know you know deep um like deep uh, inside deeply knew that uh you you know that some some reality uh will is the case but uh you don't accept it and you try to cover it up uh and to conceal the truth from yourself mm. um and um, and yeah i never thought uh, so you uh, i never thought of a bad faith in relation to to uh death and grief so far but um it it just came to mind now when i was you know thinking about how uh, often we are we don't accept illness and we don't accept uh, how it can affect our lives and we don't accept the possibility of death yeah being in this denial um i mean heidegger talks about you know being towards death and how we try to um to um kind of flee away from the realization of our mortality in our own case but i think probably this also applies when we think about um yeah the the death of the closed ones and uh the loved ones and um so so yeah so i i, I think that perhaps um you know um when when I was facing death uh, directly in connection to some um, uh, people who are very close uh, to me and, you know, very um, like my parents, 
uh, maybe I wasn't accepting, you know, the possibility, the real possibility of uh, of uh, their death. Um, I was trying to flee away from it and to lose myself in activities. Um, we were talking about, uh, yeah, how it's possible to lose yourself, and I think, um, in yeah, if you if you're absorbed in these activities, maybe in some way these are uh, that can help you cope, but uh, at the same time you get lost a bit in in uh, in these activities and you flee away from um the realization of of some very deep deep but uh um very hurtful uh you know realities and possibilities so yes i think uh, that's an interesting dynamic between losing yourself and finding yourself and um uh, or uh, being able to to um, cope as an agent and to continue to to exist in the world as an agent and someone who can do things who can uh, you know yeah. be actively uh, you know mm -hmm. an active uh, uh, individual in the world function in various situations of life um, and you think this this is a way of you know you being in control and you know uh, mm -hmm. having an identity finding yourself but at the same time um, there's this uh, fleeing away from um, your acknowledging some some very deep uh, and true possibilities, um, and then this might not seem very truthful and to yourself. And uh, so maybe yeah, that's a paradox of <laughs> a paradox of, uh, that uh, finding and losing that, yourself. Uh, yeah, because who knows if there's someone there? I mean, while you are functioning so admirably. And uh, you are uh, there. You manage to do this and that. Who knows if uh, someone is actually there? I remember back then still, uh, I was teaching in high school. So it's a very nice age. They are uh, young and sweet. And the principal of the headmaster of the school told my class, you know, she cannot come today because today she lost her mom. And then the week after I I came back to work because I needed to work. And they were very sweet. They, they were pests. I mean, uh, my class was uh, terrible. Everybody was ah, uh, oh, <laughs> always very energetic, yelling and so on. And on that day, they were all uh, so quiet and sweet. Oh. They came and, and there was a part of me that was... Um, uh, the, the, the shadows of me, I'd say, almost bothered because uh, I don't want you to acknowledge that. I don't want to mm. be there. I don't want to, to go there now. I'm functioning. I'm on uh, in action mode. Uh, yes. uh, I, the, I was living the paradox, uh, I think, because other people were coming into that uh, world that I was uh, trying to keep uh, under the carpet and uh, to, to, for nobody to see it. And um, I was almost obliged to share it. And it was quite, quite difficult with yeah. a public, with a venue that was uh, generally mm -hmm. yeah, not so open. Yes. Uh -huh. yes, yes. It's like, uh, probably like yeah, exposing a, a wound. Yeah. Uh, exposed and you don't want to yeah be remembered of that wound uh, I guess I felt the same when I returned to teaching so I had a week off and then I returned to to 
to teach and uh again yeah very everyone you know seemed very compassionate and uh, uh they they said nice words there was a class actually with uh, um uh, adults so it was a, ah, a, uh -huh. an evening class and um of course yeah they they were very um, uh, empathic and uh they said yeah various uh, nice um, you know compassionate things but um yeah i was uh i, I felt the same as as you you know that mm -hmm. i i i would just prefer for things to to look as usual and we wow. that we say the usual things that we don't um but um yeah so we uh, after a brief moment at the beginning, we start immediately to talk about, you know, philosophical things, issues. Yeah, I was teaching Wittgenstein and we just... Ah, oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, about <laughs> some matters in the era of philosophy of language. Uh, so, um, yeah, but um, that, that you know, that helped me. And to, it was like it was like having a break from, you know, grief, uh, getting these moments of uh, philosophical discussion um uh, i think these moments of uh, you know good functioning uh, you know in in a public space um they they like i i think they could be like a break from from a, taking a break from grieving and mourning and right. uh, yes yeah, so um they, i think they were very helpful for me for like my mental health and my you know well-being in that situation so uh yeah that this I moment say, from grief and yeah sorry eh, no i'm sorry uh, i wonder if uh, these uh if both things help uh, i mean uh, one thing it's very curious that you were teaching wittenstein because uh, the unsayable and the difficulty of, of expressing in words uh, and uh, it's uh it, it fits uh, to to the situation to a certain extent i wonder if uh, both fleeing and uh, having a space for the making the space for the soul to breathe uh, both help because uh, after all in in these moments of pain uh, there's healing too i mean uh, what uh, these people did for us uh, was uh, to make space uh, on a time that was uh, just for themselves uh, to listen to us uh, to um, uh, to be with us even in silence or with their emotions and be and let the pain out for a moment because the difficult part of uh, happiness i think that was a topic with another uh, interviewee i had a few months ago is that uh, we don't have enough time to be unhappy uh, so happiness becomes a kind of a moral duty. We th there must be always uh, this kind of state, and uh, sometimes it cannot be built if uh, we are not left with space and time to, yeah, to just be miserable to to feel the pain we are going through. It's uncomfortable, but maybe healing mm -hmm. no. yes um yeah i mean yeah it, you it's interesting what you said so i think you know there, there was an implicit sense of compassion in the room uh mm -hmm. when i uh went to teach 
even though we were talking about, you know, Wittgenstein, and it was more like later Wittgenstein and, yeah. uh, his, you know, philosophy of, uh, philosophy of ordinary language. Um, so uh, we were like very, you know, down to earth with <laughs> the topics. Um, and But there was, uh, yeah, there was uh, a feeling that um, my sort of situation is seen and I'm visible and, you mm -hmm. know, people see me as who I am um and in that situation and i think that was comforting um um and yeah i mean um about happiness as a duty uh i i don't see it that way i'm not yeah, really sure yeah, yeah. what that means i mean i see happiness in terms of uh in connection uh, to and uh, so i think that an important part of happiness is well-being uh, being mm -hmm. well and understand this in terms of um, uh, us being uh, capable to do things and to be um, and to be who we are and uh, how to exercise our freedom and one cap an important fundamental uh, capability we have I think is, as humans is the capability to make sense of things um, and um, I think uh, so it seems to me that I I am well when I can understand things. If I if yeah, I'm in a place which is unfamiliar, mysterious, threatening, mm -hmm. then I can't be happy. That's uh, if I make sense of uh, the 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 place I'm in, I uh, understand what's going on. That is comforting. I feel more at home um, in that situation. And um, so I yeah I. Um, from from maybe from an existential phenological perspective, I understand happiness as um, uh, having this core component of uh, making of the capability to make sense of things, which renders you know could render um, uncanny places more familiar and uh, um, as as places that one can inhabit and can be in. So. If, um, if for example, you're ill and you understand more about your illness, you understand um, more about um, your lived experience and maybe that perhaps uh, your experience of illness is not totally unique, maybe that other people have experienced it and then you share your experience with others. This way of making sense of it, I think, um, can help one to... Uh, to cope better and to um, to to maybe to yeah get a, a, a um, so the the uncanny become becomes uh, less threatening and uh, perhaps you know the uncanniness of one's illness becomes um, gets more diminished and uh, maybe uh, you, you once you you know get to know your illness I guess uh, mm -hmm. that can. Uh, can maybe op open some possibilities for you to experience also some states of well-being mm -hmm. uh, in in illness. Uh, yeah, I think um, so. I think yeah, sense sense making is the way that I am trying to uh, um, understand. You know, this uh, big concept of happiness. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. I I agree. I. I... I love it. I I didn't see it in this way, but it's really a nice uh, a nice way to look at happiness. 
And if I can improvise uh, uh, like a jazz player on this concept with you and uh, come back to something we were saying before, what if we can help each other when uh, there are moments of unhappiness, when uh, we experience some mental um, uh, issue or we have some mental disabilities? Uh, what if we try to turn down the projections and try to make ourselves more understandable? I give you an example. Uh, if uh, I'm feeling blue and uh, I don't uh, take the phone call of a friend of mine, one anxiety I might have is, uh, oh my God, this friend will feel offended because she thinks or he thinks I'm rejecting him or her. While for me, I'm not rejecting. I I'm just feeling so tired down and so on that I don't have the energy of engaging. What if this friend don't take it uh, as uh, a personal rejection. What if uh, we finally manage to free each other from uh, these projections for which uh, uh, this person is uh, answering to me like this because uh, he or she thinks that I'm this, this and that. What if uh, we cut on the projections uh, and we just make uh, ourselves more understandable. We make uh, our live, our situations, our lived experience, our feelings uh, a tiny bit more um, maybe exposed and understandable at the same time. What do you think? Could that be a path toward uh, happiness in mental health, in uh, emotional health, or would it make things more complicated? Now I'm truly improvising on your ideas, so who knows? <laughs> yes, uh, I'll improvise in my response. <laughs> of course. I, I haven't thought, uh, yeah, Me I haven't thought about this, this uh, yeah, connections between ideas before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, um, I think um, what, what I understand from mm -hmm. what you said um, is that perhaps, you know, um, being more open um, in our judgment about others, uh, in how we perceive others and others' behavior, um, I think, uh, and I agree, can can um, help uh, with um, the, the development of certain um, human interactions that uh, that can promote well-being and can help with uh, mental ill health. So as you, in, in connection to your example, if, um, if say, uh, I am the friend who, call, who calls you uh -huh. and you don't answer and I know you're there, you know, if I uh, don't, uh, if I um, resist the, the temptation of, you know, being judgmental and thinking, oh, she, 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 she rejects uh -huh. me, she doesn't want to, to, uh, take the phone call because she doesn't like me or uh, because mm -hmm. she thinks I'm uh, an annoying person or something like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for making all these judgments um, and maybe, maybe, yeah, try not to make any judgment or to maybe uh, think, oh, maybe, maybe there's, maybe, maybe she has a problem, maybe you have a problem and 
um, uh, maybe I can help you in some way, or I yeah, just re refrain from making a judgment because I'm thinking, yeah, you might have a problem, you might be unwell, uh, or um, so things like this. I think um, I think that that would um, yeah, that would be help a lot. I think this this openness and um, this um, this uh, sounds to me like a state of you know uh, phenomenological epoche. You absolutely of, to make a yeah judgment. tell us something yeah about it for uh, the listeners yeah i mean uh, epoche i guess it would be here uh, uh, an extension uh, the use of epoche here would be an extension or or, or an application uh, of uh, the phenomenological term that uh, edmund husserl introduced um, in um, yeah his uh, phenomenology of uh, yeah, I think, uh, what was it in the context of perception? I can't remember exactly, yeah. but uh, yeah, intentional state of consciousness. So um, yeah, Husserl, I mean, you're, you're a better Husserl scholar than I yeah, am. We don't need much about Husserl here. We don't want to yes. scale off people. So the, yeah. in, in a, yes, we one apply, when one applies epoche, one refrains, from uh, making any sort of judgment that is informed by certain preconception or maybe prejudices or even biases uh, by certain maybe theories that one might have about, you know, reality or people. Uh, so um, suspending any judgment, I think uh, that's the idea here that uh, could be applied in this context, uh, could, uh, you know, facilitate better better social interactions which are conducive to well-being to the and uh, which wouldn't um, impose certain uh, wouldn't involve the imposing certain labels or certain um, or uh, you know uh, trying to uh, put people into uh, sort of um, like boxes you know I'm yeah you you might uh, hate me or you might not like me uh and that would be the kind of uh, category that i would place myself in as a person who might be annoying so uh I, by suspending this sort of of judgments and labeling um and uh having this openness towards uh others and also towards ourselves i think this this openness um is is very beneficial and um um makes possible um uh, you know the the uh, a safe space uh, mm -hmm. where people can uh, connect uh, you know authentically and there could be like genuine interactions between individuals um which would involve yeah respect for 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 them as persons with freedom and with like dignity and with their inner lives and that we can't predict anticipate and put labels on mm -hmm. um, i think yeah um yeah, yeah so yeah, this openness can create a safe space where you know people can can see each other as who they are oh, and, yeah. and they listen to each other and they can um and all this you know seeing the artist seeing people seeing um others as who they are um and letting them be who who they are um i think uh, they are like um very uh and and listening to others is uh and seeing them are very important um um fundamental i think fundamental and basic existential uh premises for for 
uh, genuine interaction and for the possibility of, you know, happy, happy mm -hmm. encounters. Uh, yeah. Yeah understand where they are and see it. Thank you so much. This is a, a very interesting key to happiness uh, and gives the answer to what we were discussing uh, at the beginning. Now, time flew by and uh, this is the very last, uh, very difficult uh, question as usual. Uh, what do you think uh, is the meaning of life? If there is a meaning to life? Do you have an answer for us? <laughs> I think that's <laughs> a very, very big question. Very big um, for the final. Uh, yes, I think um, I think there are meanings in life, and various people make different uh, uh, make uh, make sense of life in different ways. And what can be meaningful for one person can be less meaningful for another. There is this diversity, huge diversity of ways of making sense of life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's important is to yeah, persevere in uh, uh, looking for, for uh, meanings in life. Mm -hmm. I think this is conducive to well-being uh, and well-being is conducive to happiness. Mm -hmm. uh, and one can make sense of things uh, not necessarily by reflecting, you know, engaging in like... Uh, very deep uh, philosophical readings, but uh, I mean, philosophy, I think it's something that uh, is inherent in human being. We philosophize whether we uh, know it or not. Sometimes we ask philosophical yeah. questions, deep fundamental questions about um, the meaning of life, about, uh, um, about um, you know, reality, knowledge, and so on in various uh, various junctions in, in our lives. Um, and I think, yeah, what's important is to um, try to, to um, engage in, in things that we feel passionate about, that we, um, that, um, that enhance our freedom and that um, enables us to exercise our capabilities to be and to do, which I think uh, our ways of making sense of uh, the world mm -hmm. and of uh, mm -hmm. our ways of finding meanings in life. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess in some way the question, but um... absolutely, I totally agree with you. It was a delight to talk to you this morning, Roxana. Thank you so much for uh, this wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susie. It was a pleasure to be here.